What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. We're rolling. We're rolling. Rolling on the river. I'm digging the little concession thing back there. <laughs> I like it. It's like its own little yeah, cafeteria. You're getting all kinds of food, ain't you? Yeah, I got some donuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of cool. I like that. You can go back and just you know swipe yeah, your what card. You want? Whatever shop you want. and buy. Yeah, shop and okay. buy. It's definitely on the honor system, but I did notice that it totally has a camera. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Awesome. Okay, well, good morning. <laughs> morning. How's everybody? Uh, How well, are you? I am tired, um, but that's just yesterday when I talked to you. There was a lot of yeah. I have a video that I think I'll end up posting either today or or tomorrow on my Wicked Bee Apiary um, Instagram and Facebook. That is the video from that we were going through and requeening a top bar hive that we had inherited that uh, a gentleman had built from reclaimed lumber mm-hmm. and. I do not know. Oh, yes, I do know. Never mind. Um, he got his bees. He got them out of a water meter box. And so. Oh, they were bad bees. Yeah. Then. You know, and they started off just yeah. like, like, like we, you hear us say all the time, they started off small. So they started off very friendly mm-hmm. and he removed them from the water meter and he put them into his hive. Mm-hmm. Well, now they have a lot more space. And if they have that Africanized genetics, which something that chooses to nest in the, in ground. the ground in a volume that's like five gallons or less, usually does have a high percentage of that. So. They got in there, and they they decided that they were going to. Now we've got all this space, so they could do this rapid expansion, which they can do. They can grow really quickly, and they just got like out of control. And when we went out there, it was it was like one of the most disastrous failed pickups ever. Uh, we had to go pick up the hive for him and get it off of his property because he couldn't manage it, and he was getting stung. His neighbors were getting stung. They were bad. They were bad bees. Africanized yeah. bees. So when we went out there, uh, Kevin went with me, and it was Kevin's basically like the muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't necessarily do anything bee-wise, mm-hmm. but he is willing to put on a suit if needs to and, mm-hmm. and can go help out. And I was like, hey, I got to go do this thing. It's long. I'm not going to be able to pick it up on my own. Could you come? He's like, yeah, sure. So get him all put on in the suit. And they they managed to sting him in the wrist. Basically, you know, when the pheromone goes off, yeah. it attracts everybody else. So he got stung multiple times in the wrist. And then <laughs> one of them... <laughs> Well, one or two of them made it into the suit. Like they found little grooves to get Good in the gosh. suit. And they so he bad bees. Yeah, we got one of them squished in the veil. The other one though nailed him just above the eye. Um, and and wow, all of this happened because the you know the instructions when we have to go do something like this is you need to go out there and you need to seal up the hive at night, just like mm-hmm. I told you when you were moving those yeah. other ones. You know, yeah, smoke that, them gently, yeah. get them to go inside, seal it up. I prefer to use like aluminum window screen or some sort of mesh mm-hmm. that you can staple over the entrance. Mm-hmm. And what this gentleman had done is he just took a block of wood and he just pushed it up in there and he did not actually like secure it in any way whatsoever. So the bees literally just pushed it back out. And so when we got there that morning, they were just happily coming and going. They weren't locked up. And we had to to then try to get them in and close it up. Well, as soon as we showed up, they were immediately on us. Like, we hadn't even touched the hive, and they were all over us. So this is the hive we're dealing with. And it has set out there undisturbed, basically. We did the honey harvest out of it earlier this year. And oddly enough, for whatever reason, that day, they were in a perfect mood. 
like they they acted like a normal colony. It was no big deal. We went through and it was cool. And we took several bars out Mm -hmm. of the back of it and harvested those out. And then we sealed it back up and we just left it be Mm -hmm. because I was waiting on this last batch of queens to go through because since how that hive is just there, Mm -hmm. it's not one that we worry about. It's not one of our production hives. It's not one of our ones that we go through and we want to, you know, make splits Mm -hmm. off of or anything like that. So I saved it for the end of the year. It's going to be a fall requeening. And yesterday I was out there opening everything up and, and going through. And when I got to that hive, I did our traditional, I smoked a little bit in the entrance and then I picked up a bar towards the back of the comb and I smoked a little bit there, closed it up, waited about 30 seconds, went over, picked up the very first bar and immediately they were, I was covered. They were all over me. They were pinging on the veil. They were up and down the arms and the, the gloves and everything. And I mean, they were, they were trying. And that was when you called and I put you on speakerphone and, and you know, you could hear them all oh, over. Oh yeah, you could hear them. Yeah, they were mad. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> and we, you know, John says, and I says, John, is that going to be, when I open the, when we open that nuke and that 10 frame up, is that what it's going to be like? Could very well. Could, <laughs> <laughs> they're not acting like that now. No. and see I'm that, out there and they're not bothering me. And Yeah. And then that's exactly how these were, you know, I went out there and I set up, we, we got one of these massive feeders. I'll have to show you pictures of it actually, because I know you don't, you don't see the social media stuff that often, but we, I ordered one of the blue pollen feeders from man lake because, oh, just make them out yeah no, no no exactly and and that's that was something that i yeah, talked about in the video yeah. is you can make these dyi oh, I mean. yourself very easily um you made a bunch of them out of the pvc yep. that i told you about and you know i've got at the house for my my personal hives i've got this old like tower shelf mm-hmm. and the top of it was originally a light and I've taken out the board that where the cord used to run into the back. Mm-hmm. I took that out. So it's got glass on three sides to, to close it in. Mm-hmm. And then I put all the pollen in there. And I can even set like a sugar feeder up on top of it. And it's out away from all the colonies. So all the colonies can come in and they'll they'll fly into that little shelf unit and then take the pollen back out and leave with it. And, and they don't just take the pollen out. Uh, and mine, <laughs> well, they take it out. The bees will be in there. And I just got my little scoop and i'll kick you know that four inch pipe up with the with the um, the downspout adapter i just stick it in there and just dump it <laughs> and you'll hear them in there there's bees in there and then you get to watching it. it's the funniest thing you'll see you'll cover up a bee and she comes out and she's <laughs> shakes and then one yesterday just fell out or day before you just fell out went to the ground and she didn't make it to the ground. She shook a little bit and then, oh, look at this. And comes back up, goes back in there and just starts rolling and then flies to the hive. And I'm sitting there, damn, I thought they just supposed to carry it on their legs. Well, it, it, when it's the powder like that, you'll watch them. They'll actually get in there and they'll they'll hover but like in it yep and they'll flap their wings and what they're doing is they're generating that electromagnetic charge to them mm-hmm. static electricity and, and it causes all the dust stick to them and then they'll fly off and land somewhere and clean themselves and pull it all down and put it onto their legs like you normally see but yeah to to initially get it since how it's such a fine dry mm-hmm. powder it's not as sticky as a real pollen mm-hmm. they'll just buzz and vibrate and it'll all collect on them and they'll like you said they'll roll around in it and and kind of frolic no, <laughs> they frolic I mean, in it's it. unreal watching them and i'll put you know my i made mine about a foot long and i'll, I'll i won't fill them completely full but I'll put quite a bit in there. They'll empty that damn thing in a day. Yeah, that's how uh, I, I showed the shelf. We did a uh, day one and a day two, 
and I filled it up first thing that morning on day one, went yeah. out there that afternoon, and it was just a, this very calm but I mean, tons of bees. But they were uh, very They don't calm. bother you no, when just you're flying up there. in and out. Yeah, they're in there so for one thing. That's we the got pollen. we got right up in the middle of it, took some pictures and some video of it, mm -hmm. and then came back out at the same time the next day. And there was just dust in there. But that they're was still it. in there working. They're there licking whatever's there. Yeah, there up. was a couple in there yeah. crawling around. So we went ahead and refilled it again. And you know, about an hour later, tons of bees out yep. there again. Oh, it's so unreal. They they definitely enjoy it. And and keep in mind, guys. So I bought the massive feeder. Be because the the apiary now has the main apiary you know there's a lot of hives out there mm -hmm. and instead of having multiple tubes that i've got to go fill up i did this one feeder and the one feeder holds roughly 30 pounds of the pollen which is almost an entire and bag it has 54 tubes coming off of it i believe well it, nah, i don't i don't know it's it's, 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 it's like a octagon it is big yeah. but that's the funny thing is it is big mm -hmm. so you look at it online and you see a picture and you see this little blue thing and you're like why on earth is that over a hundred dollars for oh, that I know. thing yeah and then you read the description and the description says well you know it holds roughly 30 pounds of, mm -hmm. of pollen substitute you know these things should be a clue <laughs> but yeah. this box shows up and they, the box is as big as i am basically yeah. and i opened it up and i pulled that thing out of there and i was like holy crap uh, <laughs> it was massive uh, so we did a video to show people you know me holding it so you could see the size of it and everything and then i, I took a couple videos yesterday i'll take some this morning when i go back out there how long and, does uh, it take to empty 30 pounds out yeah that's what we'll see like how, well, how you quickly haven't found out okay. no no so right now i counted yesterday out there at that apiary there's 30 hives out there at the mm -hmm. main apiary and so we'll see 30 pounds of pollen divided by 30 hives we'll see how quickly that vanishes one thing i found online is a a good colony will take roughly 25 to 65 pounds of pollen for one colony but in what a time year. period a year okay a year and now was they were was that study based on the pollen patties because a lot of times that's the easiest way for them to measure no, that. that guy, putting, that's the guy that was showing me how to build those the, 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 yeah. the, the traps I got now. See, I no. think it's it's harder, it's easier to do those metrics and measure them when you're using a pollen patty because that goes into that one colony and you can see that obviously that colony is the one that consumed mm -hmm. it. When you're doing the dry pollen, oh, you know, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. The, like there at the house, there are... Well, so the, at my house is usually where we have the queen hotel and the mating nukes and stuff mm -hmm. because we do all the queen breeding actually in town. And at the moment, there are two nukes and one hotel. The one hotel is divided into four. But really, you're talking like two bars, two top bars of giant comb. But there's only two comb in each of those little things. So it's not a lot of bees, but there was a lot of bees at that feeder, which probably tells me that I know Got that over by the creek, bees. there's a feral bee colony in a tree. And, you know, so I was doing kind of like you over there at the house. I was feeding everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeding everybody. Uh, over there, I've got two feral colonies. And I think I figured out where that big bunch that came and got in. We will tell them about it. my big bunch left. Yeah. Got too hot. So, the you know, we were all excited. We put things out on social media. Ken was just ecstatic. He had caught his first swarm of bees. Mm -hmm. And that swarm moved in that morning, and, and even like we talked to Tara about next it. Next morning they were gone. They well, were gone. Yep. Next and evening they were gone. What of the next day? What our thought is on that, though, the barrel itself 
it only had one entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not ever actually put a vent in the mm-hmm. back of it. So like my my full size top bars that I build, I have a vent in the back opposite top corner yeah, of it. All of mine do. And when what we think is when they found the barrel and they went in and they did their evaluation, it was not that hot. And then they went off, they got the rest of the colony, the colony moved in, everything was great, they started building, there's evidence in there where they had already started building out wax, and they were really, you know, trying to make it home and move in. Well, then that next day, now that they're in the barrel and you've got this massive cluster of bees that are generating heat in there... All of a sudden, it got up above 100 degrees, and they were like, no, this isn't going to work. Screw yep, this. They and, and they they decided that it wasn't a good yep. idea, and they left back out of there. So the first swarm caught by the barrel yep. swarm lasted a day. So yep. Well, we got it fixed. You know, that's how you learn. Yep. Got a hole. Got a, got a vent hole or two in it. Yeah. No, one. no more no more bello, barrel of bees. <laughs> no barrel of bees. I can't talk this morning. Barrel well, I got a feeling we're going to steal. Uh, I think they moved in. There was a big tree right there that had a feral colony in it and i think those had went on now you told me at one time that a feral colony in texas will last two to three years in a tree yeah and i mean that that is not just even in texas that is research that like tom seeley has done and others where they go out there and they're evaluating these wild colonies and they're kind of watching to see what happens. And even here in Texas, what they did, they weren't feral colonies. They were actually managed colonies. Oh. But they, they set up two separate apiaries, and they had one apiary that they managed and they treated, and they had one apiary that they just monitored, but they didn't do anything to it. And on average, two to three years is about the full life of one of the colonies. If you didn't do any type of intervening for varroa or anything like that, they'd make it about two years. The varroa population would spike, the diseases in the colony would spike, and the colony would crash and that was kind of about the end of it for for those so and they found the same sorts of things with Mm -hmm. the feral colonies but the trick with with those what makes it really hard to determine what's actually going on is because that feral colony in that tree you're not right there where you can monitor it and you Mm -hmm. can't get in it so you know that they're there what may happen is they may die out over winter and unless you've gone out there and done some thorough investigating investigating to know that they're actually no longer there in the spring when swarm season starts a new colony that swarms off mm-hmm. and goes to look for a new place to live could inhabit that same cavity and just repopulate it and so the next time the casual observer comes by they're like oh, well every year there's there's the colony in that tree mm-hmm. they've been there for decades well that could be 10 different colonies or five different yep. colonies you know two years each kind of thing so it's really hard to measure that I think that big colony went to that tree because it was within 60 feet of it. Yeah, and that tree was one that used to be, yeah. you guys used to call it the bee yeah, tree. It, it used to have tree. bees in it. So it would have those pheromones. Yep. It'd have that smell, yep. and they would say, okay, well, we really liked the volume of the barrel. We loved everything about it, except it got too darn hot. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to go to the tree. And the tree is way more insulated, and it's mm-hmm. more natural and more organic. It's got a thicker lined wall to it because of the, the actual trunk, and the hollow in the center of it keeps them more insulated, both from the heat and from the cold. And so that that would be better overall for mm-hmm. the colony as well. So it might have been a good so choice. I think we they chase moved over there. And Eric <laughs> Sean says, well, Ken, are you feeding feral bees? I'm feeding a hell of a lot of feral bees. I said, I'm going to make them swarm next year. Yeah, yeah, I was asking. I was like, so why, um, if, if there's technically no colony there at the house, why are you refilling that feeder at the house so often? Because you're just feeding everybody else, and that could be going to your colonies. <laughs> they will. 
He's well, like, yeah. Oh, the, the, the colony's eating hell out of them, too. Yeah. Except the ones that we inherited. You know those? Yep. The They're ones. not eating. And we'll, we'll be coming out there sometime this week, I hope, to get out there. We're going to take some of those new queens out there and put them in there. So, Carniolium? Carniolin, yeah. We, we got us a bunch of Carniolin queens from Tucka B up in New York. And Tucka and I had a, a fun little chit-chat on the phone about some things. But we're going to go through and we're going to put those they have in. an accent? Because they, they came from New they York. they a different way? Since they're from from New York, <laughs> we're gonna have Yankee bees. You know, you know how in different cultures and different languages, mm-hmm. um, sounds mm-hmm. are spelled and and sounded out differently. Mm-hmm. So, what we would say is buzz buzz <laughs> would be zub zub. <laughs> okay. Yep. Zub zub. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they may have an accent. They may they go zub zub instead of buzz, go buzz. zub zub instead of buzz buzz. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I'll, I'll go for that. So in, in other sad, bad news, while we're on the subject of your um, swarm mm-hmm. deciding to leave, yep. we also had a fatality. Yep. So the one Langstroth, we had the two Langstroths that we had evidence of mites in both, and mm-hmm. one of them had the deformed wing virus. And we decided to go through and treat those colonies. Mm-hmm. And we did the treatment of the Apigard, which is mm-hmm. the thymol organic-based treatment mm-hmm. for those. And one of the two colonies, which was the weaker colony that really wasn't doing a lot, that one died out. And it did not survive the treatment. So that actually is kind of a very interesting subject on that one, too, because my initial thought would be ventilation. We didn't provide enough ventilation for it, but... That lid that was on top of that one. It was that plastic one where you set the the wheel. On yeah, top because of. it it did not. It was actually it's a it's a it is a we have a lid and a bottom board that's designed right. for a solid plastic hive, and they don't actually work too well with uh, the wooden Langstroth hives. It might have sealed. Yeah, so we we no, I don't think it's sealed at all. So I don't I don't think it could be ventilation because that's why we had to set that weight on top of it. Right, is because it was it, so light. It was light, and it wouldn't actually. Sealed. It didn't seal to the inner cover. Right. And so there was ventilation up there. Oh, there's plenty. Yeah, yeah. So it may have just been that they just, they were already weak. Their immune systems were already weak enough that they just couldn't survive the treatment. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, that one unfortunately did not make no, it. So, it didn't make it. so Ken in his first year has experienced his first loss of, uh, of an official colony. And we did have something similar actually happen with, uh, Kelly's bees. Really? Yeah. So that one wasn't very good either. Actually, we've had a couple of them this year that were that way. And okay. the, um, yeah, I don't know. So on, on some of them, it was a, we did not have, like, there wasn't any presence of mites on the other one. We didn't have any issues or anything going on. But what we did find is that they may have potentially overheated. They were in a top bar, mm-hmm. and there was evidence of one of the combs breaking and falling. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, it could have been that the comb fell and squished the queen, and the colony over the next several weeks, you know, slowly kind of petered out. But I don't quite think that was the case, though, because all of the bees in the colony were dead, wow. and they were just dead in the bottom of the colony. So usually if it is a, an accident or something like mm-hmm. that, you'll still have some younger bees that are in there or bees that were foragers that came back. You know, you'll still have some living bees right. in there. You'll just be missing the queen and some of the other stuff. But in this case, they were all gone. So I think that it, on one of those days when it got up to, to it like was 110, smoking hot out yeah, there. I think it literally just, it overheated and, and we checked on it. And oddly enough, it also did not have a vent in the back of it. It was the 19 inch top bar right. uh, kit that, that you can build from Man Lake. Right. And it does not have a vent. It has the entrances just on the end cap. 
-hmm. It doesn't have them on the side like where I build them at. And then it did not have any vent in the back part of the hive. So that was kind of my suspicion on it is that it overheated, unfortunately. And they just, you know, it just took that one day of the temperatures getting too hot and the colony not being able to, to circulate the air well. So and what we're saying it. here is we're we're telling our our family that check your bees while it's this heat because they have we're having heat all over the U.S. everywhere. Yeah, make sure that and, they've and they got, even have it in Europe. Yeah, make sure that they've got a water source absolutely that they can get access to because they're going to bring that water in. They'll disperse it around the hive and then that'll help them. They'll they'll basically make like their own little swamp cooler where they'll fan those droplets of water, strategically pull air in, circulate it through, and push it back out. But that does work better if they have an entrance, or not an entrance, but at least a vent mm -hmm. that is up higher. So if your entrance is down low and the vent is up high, they can pull that new fresh air in, they can cool it, and then they can push the stagnant, stale hot air out through the opposite side. Wow. So, um, But that is, it's all just speculation, because unfortunately a lot of times when... If you do go for a longer period, two or three weeks, and you haven't looked in there, and then you come back and, like, it's already done, it's really hard to say, well, did they get contaminated somehow? Was there some sort of pesticide? Did they overheat? Was it disease? And then you have to kind of turn into a uh, detective, and you've got to go through and, and investigate each cell. You know, is there signs of disease or is there not? You know, is there signs of overheating? It makes it kind of tricky for sure. I know John, I called John. I said, John, you know that one Langstroth that was a week? I think they're dead. Well, why do you think that, Ken? I says, because there's ants and yellow jackets going in and out of it. He says, they're dead. I says, yeah, that's what I said. He says, how long have they been dead? I says, about three days, because there have been ants and yellow jackets going in and out of it three days. You haven't opened it? No, because you told me not to open it. Just <laughs> make sure the gas stayed in there. Ken, Ken's being <laughs> literal. Um, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, we're going to do the treatment. You're going to do this, and then you, you want to leave them alone because the treatment – already stresses yeah. them out and so you don't want to be messing with them and then they could potentially say you know it's not worth it and they'll abscond mm -hmm. um but yeah he he definitely took it literal so when i said don't open it don't mess with them he tells me he's like well i mean the last couple of times i've been out there and looked there were no bees coming and going and now there's ants and yellow jackets and i was like well why didn't you open it then well you said not to open it <laughs> that's right i do what i'm doing but yeah, yeah and uh, the, the other the other half they're healthy as hell they're working a lot harder than they were it's crazy. Yeah. And but when you and that yeah, that one that died, that's where we saw the two varroa mites on the one bee. On the one bee, yep. Yeah, so they so must they, have been in there pretty bad. They had a bad bad infestation for sure for sure on that. They were weak. So yeah. Uh, so enough enough sad bad news. Yeah. We just wanted everybody to know that, you know, it's it is part of the whole aspect of beekeeping. Mm -hmm. um, it is definitely something that happens. I know that we've got we've got a couple of listeners that also have lost colonies this year for various reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and since how it is a sad thing, like I'm not going to mention names on on any of that. But we we've had some people reach out and go through, and you know it's one of those you you kind of give condolences and give encouragement, but then also it's it's a stepping stone. It's a learning. Mm -hmm process to, to make this work and every single colony is different so you just kind of got to learn the ebb and the flow of the colony and how it how it plays out so uh, but we're going to shift gears here real quick we have a an email okay technically i guess this is a facebook message but it is very long. It is very long okay um so bear with me everybody we're going to go through i'm going to read this this is a message from christina 
And Christina writes to us because she she's just started, you know, beekeeping. This is her first year. Turn and, like me. Yep. And she's got some questions and some things out there. So we'll go through and I'll, I'll read this through. And then when we get to the end, um, we'll go through and try to help give her some advice on her questions here. So we start off. She says, hi, John and Ken. I am a first year beekeeper and your podcast has been invaluable resource to me. I have learned so much. Thank you very much. I have a multi-layered question, but first, a little background info about myself. Again, I am a first-year beekeeper. All of my beekeeping equipment was inherited, so aside from one package of bees, I did not have a lot of money invested when I first started. I have one Langstroth hive that currently has two deep boxes and one medium box that is filling with honey. I have boxes and frames for two more Langstroths if desired. I started with foundationless frames, which I liked a lot. I now use wax foundation frames, though, due to cross-combing. I hope to return to foundationless, but I do not plan on touching the honey this year, aside from maybe sneaking a little for a taste. I am five feet tall, which that'll come into play later. <laughs> I am located about 30 miles south of St. Louis, Missouri. We get cold, snow, and ice. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, next part. Earlier in the season, things were going great. I had one deep box full, and I added a second deep box. Both were 10 frames and both foundationless. My bees were awesome and relaxed, and I was super confident. They worked super fast, and between weekly inspections, they cross-combed about one-third of that second box really well. I didn't know what to do, and I thought I should just trust my bees. Well, that was my number one mistake, I guess. Then she says, laugh out loud. So, I haven't seen the inside of that second deep box ever. (laughs) I know that this is very bad. I'm a local, uh, a local beekeeper suggested that I go in, slice the cross combs up, and straighten things up and clean it up. So my husband, who is the muscle, went out to help me pick up the box, and I semi-suited up. I had a uh, veil, a white sweatshirt that had always been okay when I checked my bees, and he had a veil and a white t-shirt. It was hot as hell out here, so <laughs> it was my only day off, and that was the only day of the week we could do it. But it was early evening... And, of course, basically, we were idiots. <laughs> so the bees come out and hacked it. Yeah. Yep. Um, I love the humor in this. We were idiots. <laughs> I will save the long story short and let you know that we both got stung a ton. Mm-hmm. And so did my unprotected teenage son, who was on the back porch way far away from us. Good An gosh. ambulance ended up having to be called, and I missed two days of work. And I lost all of my confidence, which is worst of all. None of that has actually discouraged me, though, although now everyone thinks that I'm insane. It made me think about the next year, different types of hives and locations. I hated having to ask my husband to come out and help me pick up that box because I simply couldn't do it. It's as she stated. She's only five Mm -hmm. foot tall. The boxes are heavy. They're big. She needs to be using top bar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, and she does say though, it's not, it's not that the boxes are too heavy specifically. It's that for her to pick them up, she has to wrap her arms all the way around the boxes and get a good grip to be able to lift them and move them. Uh, let's see. Lost my place here. So, uh, I couldn't just lift it and move it easily. So my husband had to help. I thought I wanted to go top bar next year. However, I have discovered long hives. It seems like the best option for me. I want to continue using the frames, and I like them, and I have an extractor for them already. 
I am including a link for the model that I am going to build. And it is based off of what's called the Valkyrie Long Hive. And she actually saw this on Honeybee Suite, which is a blog out there by mm-hmm. Rusty. Mm-hmm. I love the Honeybee Suite. You guys may have heard me mention it once or twice. I, I like I love Rusty's stories, the way she writes, her humor and wit and, and the knowledge and stuff in there. So um, Christina actually found this Valkyrie Long Hive in an article from Honeybee Suite. Mm-hmm. So here's her questions about the Long Hive. First, what is your opinion of a long hive? Second, what is your opinion of this specific long hive? Is the canvas a good idea? What are the benefits to using canvas, if any? I love the insulated bottom stand idea. We get snow and very cold winters here, so what are your thoughts on that? How about the wool blankets that are an option? Given my height, any other suggestions to successfully be keeping? <laughs> Next year, I am adding four packages or nukes, question mark. I am not sure yet of my long-term goal. I have not ruled out the eventual idea of businesses. My mind wanders and I dream sometimes, especially after listening to your interview with Tara Chapman. I love what she does, and next year I plan on have five hives, and I want to be able to be working them without getting my hubby to have to be the muscle. <laughs> so she wants to be able to do it on her own and not have to uh, ask for people to come out there and, and back up and assist. So, so that is the long and the short of the long email. I think uh, the the long 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 lines mm-hmm. they're basically a top bar except they got the frames in them yeah and so so if we go through the questions here um what is your opinion of a long hive and what is your opinion of this hive specifically no, so, I, don't, I know nothing about them i'm just yeah, i'm the, looking at it as a top bar the long hive itself is it's the length of a top bar mm-hmm. but it's the dimensions of a langstroth so box it's square it's got the well it's, it's, it's rectangle, rectangular yeah it's got just like how when you open up your Langstroth box where it actually holds the 10 frames, mm-hmm. well, in a long lang, it doesn't stop at 10. It goes up to 30. So it's a really long box. It's got the channels on either side so that it holds the frame in there. And your frames, everything about it is a Langstroth, but it's on one plane. Ju- it's more than you would a top bar. No? No, not really. Um, the So beekeeping is beekeeping, really. Well, yeah. If you go through your management styles and everything else, they do change a little bit. So... If you wanted to compare and contrast and contrast the long lang and the top bar, the biggest difference is a lot of times on the long langs they'll divide and have separate sections and lids so that you can open up a section at a time. Because in a top bar, your bars literally fit flush. There is oh, no yeah. gaps. There's no yeah. opening. So your bars are the true lid of the colony, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in a lang, that's not the case. There's a gap between every single frame. And so when you check a Langstroth, you're letting all of the light in, you're letting all the heat and the humidity in or out, and it disrupts the bees and it makes them a little bit more agitated. So when you go through and you look at the setups of them, that's your number one difference. When you're looking at the hive and you're working the hive, you're still exposing a large portion of the hive. So to try to mitigate that, they've gone and they've done like separate doors. There may be three lids that you open, so you're only opening a third of the colony at a time to expose it to the light. But that's where the canvas that she's talking about comes into play. The canvas pulls over and lays down across the tops of the frames so that you can slide it and move it as if you were doing a top bar. So then you're only exposing three or four Ten. frames. Oh, three or four. Yeah, you're narrowing it down. Just like when you open your top bar, right. you're only exposing the face of this comb, the face of this comb, and the one in your hand. And you can use the canvas to do that same sort of thing. So you can 
minimize that exposure. That's where the canvas comes into play. And there's that is actually a great idea. I have seen people that will use uh, canvas or really, really heavy curtains that are that don't have any like frizz or fuzz to them for, to snag mm-hmm. the bees. Mm-hmm. And they'll drape those over the top of even their regular Langstroths so that they can pull it over and they'll just cover everything but one frame. And they can pick that one frame and up and, one and look out. at it and not expose the rest of the colony. It keeps it nice and dark, keeps the air you know, kind of controlled the humidity and everything in there. So that is not a bad idea. The canvas is a great concept. Now, when she goes through and she talks about the blankets, the other option that comes with this hive is there is a wool blanket that is made to be the length of that hive that -hmm. you can lay on top of these canvas sections or you can lay it on top of the actual frames themselves. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it provides an insulation barrier. Mm -hmm. So it keeps the heat from escaping out through the top and out through the lid, Mm -hmm. and it keeps the bees more insulated. The other part in here she talks about is the insulated bottoms. Now, the people that designed the Valkyrie Hive, they would go through and they this was their design. They did it. They tested it. They used it year after year, and then they would modify and correct and mm-hmm. do other things to it. And so when they went out one year and they were testing it, they had the wool blanket above the top of the frames, and the, the hive was well insulated from above, but they noticed a lot of heat was escaping from the bottom of the hive, mm-hmm. even though it couldn't come out the top. So they've designed this hive stand that when you put the hive on that hive stand, it actually insulates the bottom as well. So now you've got more of your heat actually contained inside that hive, just kind of like the tree would be, right? We were talking about how it has that thicker barrier. So now that more of your heat's contained in there in the wintertime, they're going to actually stay warmer. In the summertime, it helps them stay cooler because if they manage to cool off the inside of that colony... Well, those that temperatures is. stay better. They can regulate it better. Like an ice chest. Yeah, just like an ice chest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I see. all of these things are all positives. I would say that the biggest advantage for you, Christina, in this situation is going to be the height. So your problem is having to wrap your entire body around this heavy box to pick it up and move it and set it down. And when you do that, it's going to pull your shirt up. Bees can still get in underneath places, you know, and and you're going to squish bees because you can't Mm -hmm. fully see what you're doing when you've got it wrapped all the way around you like that. If you have something that's on one level, one platform, be it Mm -hmm. a top bar or a long laying, that's going to make managing the hive so much easier. You never have to pick up more than one bar or one frame, yep. and that's going to be five to seven pounds that you have to deal with. Yep. So that is going to be a great thing. I think that will actually help your your beekeeping exponentially if you can actually manage it on one level like that. The rest of it is all honestly, it's just preference. Because if you don't use the canvas and you don't use like the wool blanket, you're still doing the exact same concept as a regular Langstroth hive. Mm-hmm. So there is no huge difference between that. When you add the canvas in there, it makes it closer to managing a top bar hive. It keeps mm-hmm. everything a little bit more contained. It keeps the bees a little bit more calm. You add the wool blanket in there, you're adding extra insulation, which will mm-hmm. definitely help them up in Missouri when you do have those long winter, you know, cold, bitter winters where you've got a lot of snow and ice. There's a lot of ice storms up there for sure. Oh, and yeah. that'll chill things down too. So I think all of those are great things. Um, the last little part of that was you were asking about the nukes or packages well if you're staying with a langstroth style and it's a long lang you can do a regular nuke and i would always say if you can start with a nuke do it because they already have comb they already have the laying queen it's their mother it's already established and going it just needs to grow and expand the package is chaos in a box 
So they may not necessarily want to stay. They may go other places. There's lots of little tricks in there that, you know, you have to do to manage them, whereas that nuke is already going. It's a plug and play. You put it in and they just keep expanding and growing as they as they build out. So I would say if you can find somebody up there that sells nukes in your area and you can go through and kind of vet them and make sure that they're good and and have good quality of stuff, go for it. I would definitely do that. If not, I mean, hey, a package works. You just have to put a little bit more work into it. The other thing that I was going to mention, the cross combing. So anytime, be it a, a hive with no foundation or a top bar, if you've got a big hollow cavity inside of there and the bees can kind of do whatever they want, right. they're going to. That's so if you, if you want to stay mostly foundationless, what you can do is get the frames that are designed for the wax foundation, but cut your wax foundation into about two-inch strips that are the full length of the actual foundation that would fit up into the frame, put them into your frames and hook them in, but all you've got is just that two-inch wax strip hanging down. And that'll allow the bees to have a guide to tell them to build in this direction inside the frame, and it will get them started, but the rest of your entire frame is still going to be foundationless. They can build whatever size of comb they want. You're just using those wax strips to give them the idea of this is where you want it to be built. And then they'll take it from there and they'll build out whatever shape and size they want. So that may help reduce your cross combing and it will actually possibly give them an incentive to build maybe a little bit faster because you do have that wax to start them off with. Um, that would kind of be my other suggestion there. But I think for the most part that I think answers most of your questions. If not, if I did miss anything in there and we did not tackle it, feel free to shoot us another message and, and you know ask any follow-up questions or any clarification or anything, and we will be happy to go through and address that for you. That'll work. Yeah. So now you're going to tell me. So I pestered him last night. I said, I'm going to buy 10 packages of bees for my bees uh, next year. Now he's just told me I need to be buying nukes. So you're going to raise my nukes for me this year, for next year? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll definitely go through and do nukes for you for sure. But if you wanted, see, your goal was you wanted to test bees from I the different areas. I want to test different, different areas, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, you cannot ship a nuke because you can't Too ship, big. well, you can't ship comb. That's the problem. It, it violates a lot of the, because your diseases and things like that are going to be in the comb. So you can okay. ship a package that's just bees. But you can't ship comb. That's when you start crossing state lines and things with that. All kinds of regulations get into place. So, I'm seeing that as I'm looking online, I found the one place in Georgia that you can order all the bees you want. You can order Italian. You can order uh, Coriolan. Or you can order... Russian. Sascrets. Oh, the... Um... <laughs> the Russian. Think, yeah, there's Russian. They had Russian, Carniolan, and Italian. Um, there are some other ones out there. I think I know what you're talking about. I just can't remember how to pronounce yeah. it. S A S. It's like Saskatraz or something, something but it's like a weird. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he had the three different kinds. The Italians being the best price. Yep. And I'm sitting there. Okay. Well, now you just told me I ought to be buying, and I can buy nukes locally. Yeah. Now see the the nukes and everything. I mean, when it comes down to it, whatever your queen is uh -huh. is what your colony is going to be. Right. Right. And we, the primary bees that I use are the Russian Carniolan hybrids. That's what you got for right. and the, you, the you've ones you are going to You've got one Texas red-headed mutt, yep. which technically I believe that's the colony that died, mm -hmm. which is it odd. It was. It was. That was the main one. Yeah. And then and that's the one that is, it's done. So mm -hmm. that one's out of there. And then you had, did you have one that had a green dot? I don't remember if you did. 
I don't think you did. Don't think so. No. If you if you did have one that had a green dot on her, then she was a full a full blood Russian. Otherwise, the other unmarked ones were the Russian carnial ones. I okay. think you got three Russian carnial ones and one redheaded mutt. And I got um, one uh, big island queen. No, you didn't. You, I didn't well, get a big you've got queen? you've got the genetics in there for okay. it. Okay. Um, yeah, but that was I think holdover from when we were raising that nuke because that right. one's parent colony right. did have the big island queen in there, the Bahama mm -hmm. Mama. Um, but that one got replaced with one of the Carniolan queens, okay. so the Russian okay. Carniolan. But so if we go through and we order like you know I can order at any point in time these queens like the Carniolans mm -hmm. we just got they are born and raised. Yeah, you in got New York. a pile of them at home now. Yeah, well actually there's some in the truck. No, oh, okay, it's probably <laughs> um, a bunch of bees around the truck. The, yeah, uh, but they came from New York, right? So getting that queen from New York is going to be the same thing as getting that package from New York because the the queen is going to determine the genetics of the colony and all of her offspring are going to be the same as her. So you could get nukes from here and you could turn around and requeen them with different styles of queens and get that same kind of concept. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go through and you want to get packages from Georgia and see how well that breeder does and mm -hmm. how well everything is there and then also get some from Tennessee or get some from wherever we yeah, can absolutely yeah, in Tennessee. We can absolutely do that and and we'll go through and we'll put a few packages in and, and see Just how they to see do. See how they do. Yeah, because that's and part then of we the we can talk about it. Right. That's part of the learning process. You know how to do a, a nuke for a top bar and you mm -hmm. know how to do a nuke for a Langstroth. So now we'll let's try some packages next spring and see how to put those in and how to install them. It'll give you okay. more perspective. Be something different. Yeah, yeah. that worked. Very good. I got plenty of equipment you have a lot you have a lot you <laughs> yes yeah yeah i'm one of these guys now i'm getting into this bear wood eric's looking at us he says, but now i'm I, I i like grain and wood yes it's pretty and i got some pretty supers i mean pretty supers yeah we'll post some pictures out there for you guys online he's got some raw cypress and some raw cedar that are just gorgeous. Like if, if you went through and you stained them and left that actual oh, if you left grain, if you do tongue oil, yeah. Oh God. Yeah, they're gonna be beautiful. <laughs> I can't do. That. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're gonna be beautiful for sure. We're, we'll get some pictures out there of that raw wood and show you guys what it looks like, and we'll put some po uh, posts up that have Ken's feeders that he had made out of the PVC pipe and showing the bees going mm -hmm. in that. And I've got some video up close of the bees going in and, and getting pollen out of the feeders, and we'll put those up there for you guys to check out. And that will uh, give you something to get you through the week until the next episode next Monday. Yeah. Uh, oh, next Monday, by the way. No. Will, will we be talking about? No. <laughs> I, don't what, say, I don't know no. where you're going. We're about two we're weeks off be, on recording We're going to be moment. putting somewhere down the road, not too near, a far future out, we're gonna be requeening those two mean those two. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hives that yeah. I uh, got. Technically, by the time they actually hear this episode, mm -hmm. that will already be done. Okay. Because okay. we're we're about two weeks behind on our recordings, or okay. or, in, or ahead on our recordings. So we're gonna be putting Coriolan queens. Carniolan. Carniolan. They're carnies. How come we didn't get <laughs> Big Island queens? I wanted big-headed mamas. You wanted the Bahama Mamas? Bahama Mamas. Big-headed Mamas. <laughs> <laughs> Eric saying, are y'all ready to we get you out of here? shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well. We're good. Are we good for this one? We're good for this one. We'll Family. go through. Call it good. Thank y'all so very much. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It's a, and remember, and, guys, it, it's, it happens to all of us. If you do lose a colony this year, that's just, it's part of the game. Eventually, yep. you will lose a colony. It's learning experience. It I is. mean. I'm learning. I, I learned. I better put vents in my barrels. Yeah, for the swarms, definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
It helps out. Yeah, well, I would have had a huge. We would have split that one next year. I would have had two two bunches of bees out of that one. That was huge. Maybe. We'll just cut the damn tree down. You're going to have to find the queen out of that tree. <laughs> hey, we better not. <laughs> the wife would shoot both of us. What'd you do I to guess my trees? I guess we ought to get out of here, huh? Yes, sir. Eric John says, yeah, I got to go to work. Eric says, I got to go to work. Y'all be good, family. Be safe. Be good. <laughs> Bye. See y'all next week. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.